2: The Reasonable Voices are advocates prioritizing education, preserving our history, leading by example for a peaceful and prosperous world, by evoking and embracing both creative artists and political unity as solutions to our challenges. Welcome to The Reasonable Voices News Talk Radio Program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando, The Reasonable Voice. And my guest today is a woman I met recently at a meeting about, well, probably about some of the things we're about to talk about, Sandra Bell. So, Sandra, first of all, welcome to the show. How are you?
0: Thank you. I'm doing very well, Marcella.
2: Wonderful. I'm and it's-
0: pleased to be here with you.
2: I And I feel the same way. You know, it was, um, I don't usually meet my radio guests in person. I meet some of them, but I don't usually meet most of them. And this was incredibly fortuitous, I guess, because of projects I'm working on. But also, Sandra is brought to me by a friend that I know very well, uh, and we've worked in various capacities. I've even directed in a show. So... I knew I was going to meet someone interesting, but Sandra Bell went well beyond that. So, Sandra, you know, in many ways, in my opinion, you are walking histories, what I say to Brenda, too, our our mutual friend who introduced us. So please tell us about yourself, I mean, your personal history.
0: Well, I was born in Cleveland, Ohio, and my father is from Charlottesville. They've had a family business since 19... um, Mm, Seventeen, So we're over 100 years old. And when his father died in 1959, we came to Charlottesville so that my father could head the business. Ah. Um, I attended Rose Hill Elementary School. And at that time, schools were segregated. So uh, my parents thought I had a mind that might be stalled a little bit in the uh, educational system here. Mm. So they sent me to an all-girls school right outside of boston i went to boston university and the university of virginia and um it just i have a love of history it's not my vocation or my occupation it just happens to be my love
1: mm-hmm. same here um
0: and that's pretty much there there is to me <laughs>
2: <laughs>
1: uh,
2: well that says a lot and it certainly sets up the kinds of questions I have in mind to ask you, based in large part, as I said, from that one and only meeting we had, you really triggered a lot of thoughts and and questions, because I love history, too, and it is not my occupation or my vocation, but I I just think history is teaching us all the time, if we dare listen.
0: Yes, I think if you, as the old saying goes, if you don't know your history, you're
1: destined to repeat it. (laughs) Yes. Yes, and that And not too. everything is good. And
2: not everything is good. Speaking of which, one of the things I know you mentioned to me, you wanted to talk about modern-day carpetbaggers.
0: Well, yes, that's, that's a term I've coined for people who have moved to Charlottesville because they loved what we had here. Mm-hmm. And yet they have gone out of their way, and when I say they, I particularly mean people who are in the government,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: have gone out of their way to sort of kill what what has made Charlottesville the lovely place I grew up in. Mm -hmm. And uh, one of those things in particular has been the discussion around the historical statues. Uh Uh-huh. That was, of course, you know, as well as other people, um, was begun by someone on city council who is new to the area. And from my point of view, it seems to me that they were there as part of the story of Charlottesville.
1: Mm -hmm. It doesn't
0: have to be a happy story, Mm -hmm. but it is part of the story. And to want to remove them, whether it's uh, the statue of Sacagawea or the statue in Lee Park, is to deny that part of our history. It is a part where the Jim Crow um, feelings and laws were starting to set in in the South. Mm -hmm. And if you remove them, you don't understand that after the Civil War, in my point of view, there was a resistance. So to me, the 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 apropos thing, my idea, was to put markers up to explain the context in which they existed. Mm. And for me, that gives you a clearer story of the history. Now, I can remember as a child going to Lee Park, and we played. Yes. We used to go to the segregated Paramount, Then we would go to CVS, it was standard at that time, and they had the best hot dogs. Hmm. Now, we couldn't eat there, Hmm. but we could go and get hot dogs and those kinds of things, and there were eight of us, Brenda amongst them, because she and I have been friends since we were nine months old,
1: (laughs) and
0: and we're both 70. (laughs) (laughs) But we would go there and we would play. Yes. So, you know, to me I was I never walked by it and thought, Ooh, I can't do things because that statues there and to me I think we've just started getting caught up in trying to reverse the history of the city and the things that belong that we really need to care about in the city, mm-hmm. i.e. housing, jobs, roads, those sort of things are not being dealt with. Mm-hmm. So that's
2: where I come from. <laughs> well, you know, I have to say, first of all, let me tell our audience, uh, Sandra Bell is African-American, uh, as is her our mutual friend, Brenda. And only, I, I, well, it's interesting because, not because of February, I don't believe we should only talk about African-Americans in February, but it just so happens I've had three... On the show and talking politics and and culture and uh, societal issues, but you are the first who said there's no need to remove the statues. And I remember from what you're saying reminds me that Brenda once told me some time ago she didn't understand why everyone was so concerned about the statues because she remembered as a child she played in the park and sat at at the foot of the statues without the slightest problem. Yeah, and, and, the, and the reason I mentioned that, I'll stop talking in a second, but the reason I mentioned that, besides the fact that I didn't think that was going to be your answer, it's because when I have been speaking to other African Americans on this issue, my feeling has been, or when I, I should say, my statement was, I wish we were spending as much time and focus and energy and money doing things that really are affecting people today in a negative way and really are holding them back just as Jim Crow did as opposed to thinking that if we move a statue everything is going to be beautiful you take it from there.
0: Well that's kind of my opinion about this whole and this is what I mean about carpetbaggers as well the people that in my opinion And I want to say that because this, my family is in a business that deals with the public, Mm than having a funeral home, and I don't want to put the put my opinions on the funeral home. I
2: understand. I understand.
0: However, I just think we have people who have come to Charlottesville, and they have decided to tell us that we are either stupid, Mm -hmm. or we have been downtrodden by government or the white population and I find it offensive mm. I find that they think we are just ignorant I, I take that as a it's also part of what I feel about the Jefferson School uh-huh. now when they started talking about the Jefferson School I thought it was a wonderful idea to teach it into a cultural center
1: mm-hmm.
0: now to me a cultural center includes art dancing, perhaps even some acting classes, that sort of thing. Mm -hmm. But it seemed to have gotten turned into a promotion of the black diaspora, Uh which is not telling the story of Charlottesville at all. And if one were to go out into the actual community, you might get a better reflection of what the history of Charlottesville is.
2: And what would that be? Sandra
0: that we are we are people who have persevered mm. like every other black person mm-hmm. we We have a history with slavery. We just finished a week, which I thought was a wonderful idea of rather than doing Jakku or Juneteenth or any of those things that have no bearing on the Charlottesville community, we decided to celebrate when the Union soldiers came to Charlottesville.
1: Yes, yes.
0: But there was very little talk about that. There was very little talk about how it affected the general population. I understand names of slaves were read, and and there were tours of the the Confederate monuments, but those aren't the stories. Mm. There were people whose families have succeeded from slavery By working in households, that was a common job here. People raised their children, sent their children to college by being maids and cooks and housekeepers. But they seem to not have a story here. The story always seems to be, oh, these poor people who lived in really poor, broken down homes, and oh, isn't the white man terrible for doing these things? these things existed all along, but how do you get out of them? Mm. You get out of them by working hard as waiters, waitresses on the road. Yes, there were teachers, mm. and but most people worked in those sorts of jobs. But they created homes, they created groups, there was a wonderful social underpinning. Uh-huh. Women had card clubs, the men had, you know, There were various clubs, like the Jokers, those sorts of things, and you get the impression that we did nothing until these outside people came in and told us, you're all wrong. And in a way, I find that very disheartening. Yes. So that's kind of where I'm coming from. I just think there hasn't been enough attention on the story. One of the things I love about Charlottesville, and a lot of people hate, there seems to be this story that Thomas Jefferson was the worst person in the world. Hmm. Thomas Jefferson was a man of his time. Yes, he owned slaves. Yes, he had slavery with, you know, a slave. I mean, yes. children with a slave. Uh-huh. Well, obviously, if you saw me, you know I'm mixed.
2: <laughs> <laughs> yes.
0: My yes. great-grandfather was his owner's child, and he served as a butler in his his home. But that's a story that's common to all of us. What do you do with that story? Yes. And I don't think there's been any story of the actual African-American community in Charlottesville, the dances, how at Washington Park before it became quote-unquote Washington Park, was' a part of their social outlet. I have wonderful photographs from that period of time where people were you know just gathering in the park hmm. and there's not there's no interest in telling that story. We want to be national. we want to have a big story mm-hmm. and you can't be big until you know where you came from in my humble opinion
2: well, t- tell us a little about the washington park story i I have driven by there from time to time, and there have been a few political rallies that I reported on from there. But I, I don't know that I ever thought of what it was before. It is what it is now. Tell us.
0: Well, when it was my, the pictures I have are from my father's era,
1: Uh
2: and
0: there they picnicked. They had there was a barn there that had dances and entertainment it was a real social place for black people Mm -hmm. when we were children there was no pool there there was a little wading pool and to those of us that did you know our water was sprinklers for the most part uh it was exciting and as groups we would walk to the park from the Main Street area which was quite a hike but it didn't, you know. When you're children, you walk
1: anywhere. Yeah.
0: Yes. And it was, a, you know, it was an event for us. It was very, it was a very important part to us. Further up the street, you know, you had, you had a a hotel that was part of my sister, who was eight years older than I. But that was part of when she started dating. They would go there on dates. Mm-hmm. It was just. There's been in my opinion I have to say this again Mm -hmm. no real story about the life of black people in Charlottesville it's all been oh poor people and one of the things I love as I was starting to say about Monticello is that they have done a wonderful job of trying to tell the story Mm -hmm. of the black occupants of Monticello yes and what this Amazes me is how many black people in Charlottesville have never been there to find out that the story is being told. That we are learning that there are people that had lives, had personalities, had achievements. Mm. And unless you read, like I do constantly, uh, historical books or primary sources, that story's not getting out. And I think that's sad for us because we don't want to think that he was just this man up on the hill mm-hmm. that owned slaves and that the slaves didn't have a life mm. or a story yes. or that they were allowed at certain times to act independently. The story I feel like we are presented is everybody got beaten. And, you know, let me not make the mistake that I think slavery was a terrible thing. Mm. But it is a part of our history. Yes. And we have to tell that story. And it can't be the story of Mississippi. It can't be the story of Alabama. Charlottesville has its own story. Mm-hmm. And that's, the, that's, I think, what I find difficult about the people who are in power, and I say the people who are in power because they're either have had jobs at the university and come into the community to tell us we're wrong because of where they come from. They're bringing their own perception to our reality. I see. And, they, and they, don't, you know, they don't want to hear the story that perhaps might go against what their views are.
2: Okay. We're going to take a break and we're going to come back with Sandra Bell and hear more of the real story from her point of view of Charlottesville, Virginia. Please stay with us. I'm I'm getting an earful. I'll tell you, I never... I've, I guess I've been... Well, we'll find out. Stay with <laughs> us. We'll be right back with Sandra Bell. Welcome to the NFL Minute. The film, American Honey, is long. It is grimy, and it paints a terrifying picture of the vulnerability of youth. In its feel and its dread, it evokes the tragedy of the classic unsupervised children coming-of-age film, Kids... Director Andrea Arnold is known for exploring the gulf between those who have and those who have not. She does not condemn the wealthy, rather she explores the corrosive effects on the disaffected have-nots as they pursue their own piece of the American dream. These youthful dreamers are the subjects of Queen Bee Crystal and her maniacally charismatic right-hand recruiter Jake, played by the always fascinating Shia LaBeouf. Traveling across the country via van, the youthful acolytes disperse each day to sell overpriced magazine subscriptions, working their deceptive wiles from door to door. They are at heart hustlers, working for acceptance and rank in their swarm. They are both victims and victimizers, both dangerous and in danger. Their youthful vibrancy is as natural as a spring day fueled by ephemeral highs, so tempting in the present and so harmful at their core. This is the kind a film that gave root to independent film it is rough it is real it is not for everyone american honey not in theaters discovery through rental find us on the web at indiefilmminute.com Welcome back to the Reasonable Voices News Radio program. I'm your host, Marcello Rolando. My guest again is history lover, Sandra Bell of Charlottesville, Virginia. She has quite a personal history. Now, uh, correct me if I'm wrong. Sandra was Ohio to Charlottesville to Boston and back to Charlottesville. Did I get it right?
0: Well, I had a marriage in between where I lived in Detroit, but yes, basically <laughs> those, are my, those are
1: my
2: facts. <laughs> Well, that's quite a a triangle, if you will. We are made by our life and our travels and our relationships. I want to ask you something, since we sort of ended with a comment you were making about the University of Virginia. How do you feel, since a number of people who work at the University of Virginia have been guests of mine on the radio, but are friends of mine when I'm in town? uh, Well, I guess they're friends of mine all the time, I hope. But when I'm in town, I get to see them. How do you think the University of Virginia is doing... progressing, as I know there are some there and again who come on radio and talk about it as well, who are trying to tell the full story at least recognizing that African Americans, black people, slaves, and former slaves have done a great deal to in, in the history of the University of Virginia to bring it to our 21st century
0: I think for the most part like many universities, this university is also wrestling with its history,
1: mm-hmm.
0: and I think I'm I really am impressed with the slave memorial that they are putting in.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it has some really wonderful scholars there. Um, I'm friends with Deborah McDowell. I am impressed with Irvin Jordan, but I feel like they. My complaint, as I said earlier when we were speaking, is this idea that they, some people who are particularly active at this time, are bent on telling their story and 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 what they want to get out of it,
1: mm-hmm.
0: as opposed to listening to the residents here in Charlottesville. We all know what happened during slavery. Mm-hmm but how do we overcome it how do we rise above it um i thought one of the fascinating things that i know our elders did many of them
1: mm-hmm. would
0: go to the jersey shore in the summertime and work
1: mm-hmm. it was
0: an escape one from here and from the you know a segregation that was existing during their lifetimes But it it was a way for them to increase their money and to get experiences. And many of them were some of the most accomplished people I know. But that's not a story that's being told. You know, I just don't, I don't want Charlottesville to get lost. Yes, yes. And that's kind of how I feel as things are going right now. I'm totally blown away every time I drive down Main Street and see the wonderful kind of small city feel that we used to have being Mm -hmm. lost with all of these major structures that are going up, the sunlight being blocked.
1: Mm.
0: You know, no trees on the street anymore. It's just kind of disheartening to me that this is what Charlottesville is becoming. How many hotels do we need? How many apartments do we need? you know it's that's that's kind of where my mind just kind of goes what's happening? Where you, is Charlottesville
2: I'm remembering when I first came to Charlottesville long before I bought a home here. I would visit Charlottesville. Everybody knows this i because I love history, and mm-hmm. I'm the kind of guy who loves history who's gone through. Monticello a number of different times because it keeps, in my opinion, uh, Montpelier as well. They keep telling stories and and as I often tell myself, maybe they're not changing, but I've been changed as I grow older and I'm seeing more of what was Mm -hmm. there in the first place. I thought originally when I asked you the question, our first question that you were going to, and you started out with uh, what's happening to Charlottesville, I thought you meant, and, and now that you've touched on all the construction, you mm-hmm. you surprised me with uh, what you were saying, but I I wonder what what you would say to people who say that these statues, since you've mentioned them, Jackson and and Lee in particular, and the Confederate soldier, also close to the courthouse, the most perhaps arguably in within the city limits, uh, the most historical piece of Charlottesville. They say that it's the statues symbolize something that encourages a repeat of what they stand for. And we should mention the statues weren't there during the Civil War. The statues came along around 1920s or whatever, when suddenly Jim Crow came along. But tell us, how do you feel about what happens if some white people venerate the statues as a symbol of something lost for them? What do you think?
0: That to me is a failure of our educational system. Hmm. Because they are venerating, they think the statues were put up because Lee was a wonderful person, which he was. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't tell the story that Lee was a person who went to West Point and did all these things. Yes, he decided that he, like many others, loves the state of Virginia, so he came to be the the head of the Confederate army. Yes. Mostly it was he was coming back to Virginia, which he loved. Mm-hmm. But they don't tell the story that after the Civil War he was one of the people that was responsible for trying to reconcile the two sides. Yes. There is a story of um him being at church and a black person went up to take communion and no one else wanted to take communion until Robert Lee Robert E. Lee went up and took communion with him mm, mm-hmm. they don't tell the story no one is all bad no, mm-hmm. all, no one is all good mm-hmm. but we don't get those shades
1: yes. and
0: history is full of shades I it's we're, we're very didactic in what we want to say about certain periods and I don't think people are willing to, to give anyone benefit of the
2: doubt I that hear. same thing that we all want you know. Yes. Again, coming from a film and television career most of my adult life, I I, I want to throw out this embarrassing point um, that I, the first time I saw a movie where black people, that is man and woman, kissed one another. They were in love. It was mm-hmm. romance, you know what I mean? Um, th- I mean, this was years ago now, but still, I was so surprised, and I apologize to everyone listening, but I thought, I remember thinking it. I was a teenager, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, it just it just hadn't occurred to me. They're human. Yeah, exactly.
0: With all the emotions of any other
2: human a- Any being. other human, and lives, yes. and paying bills, and falling in love, and falling out of love, and, you know, raising children, and uh, it's and earning money doing whatever they could do with legitimate, honest work to educate their children. Everybody yeah. wants that.
0: There is this picture that has put out, and some of it has been in the political arena, that black people are shiftless drug dealers, numbers runners. There there seems to be no, no understanding that... There are people that just are hard-working with their heads down mm. and really don't have the freedom to participate or come out to rallies. Mm. You know, those sorts of things, and it's not because they don't care. Uh-huh. It's just because they're too busy trying to live.
2: Wow. Wow, Sandra. Okay, let's... And this is by no means a change of subject. I just need mm-hmm. to catch my breath here. But tell me about Vinegar Hill.
0: Vinegar Hill, <laughs> to me, was a, a wonderful place. Mm. Now, are we talking about the retail or where the people live?
2: Where the people live, the retail, and what happened to it, and how you feel I mean, about it?
0: My aunt and uncle had a store on Vinegar Hill.
1: Mm.
0: My, It was a building my grandfather owned, but it was called Quality Retail. Mm wonderful little mom and pop shop mm. it was you know a thriving business but we would go in there and we'd sit down and we'd read funny books <laughs> which yeah. don't exist much anymore mm. but we would read archie comic books and millie and those sorts of things and i'd see people coming there was a wine back then called boar's head
1: uh-huh.
0: and it was like two dollars a bottle and you yeah, they'd buy little Dixie cups for two cents or something, and then they'd go behind, you know, back over behind the store, and they'd drink and that. But that was part of life.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: There was a pool hall. It was part of life. Yes. You, you weren't afraid. You didn't see, you you know, you didn't see these people as threats to you. They were just people. hmm I thought it was fascinating, particularly coming from Cleveland. I was nine when we came here, uh-huh. but it was fascinating—chickens running around in where people lived. And now it's—it's it's common, you know. Everybody wants wild chickens or organic chickens, whatever, <laughs> be, free-range chickens. <laughs> yes. know. And they're even in the city, but that was not—you couldn't do that then. Mm. And what happened? It, the tragedy of Vinegar Hill. Uh-huh was that it took away businesses from people, and they were never able to recover. My aunt and uncle reopened their store on Fifth Street Southwest, Uh but it was never the same because you didn't have the traffic. Mm. You didn't have... People didn't expect to go live in... I'm I'm at a loss for words, which happens sometimes. But they weren't looking to be put in projects when Vinegar Hill was being torn down. They thought it was stopgap.
1: Mm. Mm -hmm.
0: And what has happened in the meantime is that where there were homes and communities of black people are slowly but surely being taken away. And the cost of living in Charlottesville is becoming so high Mm -hmm. that people have to move out. It's just, to me, incredible that people from Charlottesville are now moving to Waynesboro because it's cheaper, but yet they have to come back here to work. There should be in our government some way to try to keep the communities. They should be the first on their mind. Yes. I guess that's what I'm trying to yeah. say. Not the university, not big employers. And I understand that that's tax revenue. But the things that are coming in now are so big and so grand and so expensive that the common people, which I include myself in, are having difficulty surviving in the city that belongs to them.
2: Yes. Wow. Sandra. Hmm. Do you, what do you think? uh, We've talked about statues. What do you think about the Vinica Hill Memorial that? people are talking about
0: what are they memorializing yes that there was a wonderful place here and people took it away yeah
2: (laughs) maybe maybe we should explain because not everybody I know this because I've been taught this by radio guests of mine, but explain, you know, veneca Hill was there, it was all these wonderful things. I've never had anyone uh, uh, describe it the way you just did in such personal, individual terms and in everyday life. But it how did it get taken away? Maybe the, the people out there don't know that, because there was a time when I didn't. Well,
0: I, I might not be the best person to expound on this, but it was... It was a government decision, Hmm. and for years it sat fallow until, you know, you got the omni and the uh, federal court building, but it was just, it was demolished to get rid of what was considered a blight.
2: And that blight was the black Black business district? Uh, Yeah,
0: uh very plainly, very (laughs) very obviously. You know, if you want to put up monuments, I think, not monuments or plaques, I think they should put up plaques to the families. The community where the Albemarle County Courthouse is was a thriving black community. Mm. All of that was taken away. There's been just a history of just pushing black people out of Charlottesville. You're welcome to come in and work. But we really don't want to live in here, and that's kind of the message I've gotten. And I think the modern—and I can't say it's just me—there um, um, are other people who grew up here that feel that way. Hmm. But the the uh, message is, I, I don't—I love Charlottesville, but I want to turn it into something else. Hmm kind of like like, it's kind of to me it's like the woman who loves a man but I want to change him
2: yes I was going to say that exact same (laughs) thing (laughs) too many people get married love the person and then what immediately try to change them but yeah oh wow all right so hmm one last question we do have to go this. this is amazing and I'm so appreciative of it as a person not just as a radio host but to get this information this is real history when oral history, you know, when people can mm-hmm. sit down and talk about it. And we don't do that anywhere anymore in America, I don't think, at least not enough places. But do you think there's any institutional possibilities, any any local institution that African-Americans and all, all people who live in Charlottesville can turn to and say what you've been saying to me and get their attention and their, their activism? Is, is there such a place?
0: I have my doubts because now you're you're dealing with people who tell you you're just an Uncle Tom,
1: really, or
0: you don't know. And this is what I meant. Getting back to my original comment about modern day carpetbaggers. Yes. They know better. Hmm. In their opinions, and that when you try to say things to them, that's the that's the result you get.
2: I see and not to insult any of our listeners, but just to remind people, carpetbaggers originally were the northerners who came down uh, during reconstruction to make money off of uh, a defeated South and to prop up uh, uh, politically and, and businesses that um, profited from them. So I know from what I'm hearing of having met uh, Sandra Bell, and now what I'm hearing in this broadcast that uh, when she's chosen the word carpetbaggers very carefully. Sandra, we do have to go. I I, I, I just don't know what to say because it's been it's been such a cold water in my face. I've heard the story many times, much of what we've talked about, but never the way you have expressed it. And I want to thank you so very much for being on the show and sharing your point of view with us. Well,
0: I've enjoyed talking to you, Marcella.
2: Well, thank you. We'll do it again. We'll do it over coffee sometime again, too, okay?
1: (laughs) Great. Sounds Ah.
2: wonderful. All right. Thank you so much and all the best to you. And if uh, things change in any way, then you just want to talk to me, call me up, and we'll do this again on radio as well, okay?
0: Sounds great.
2: Thank you so much, dear. Bye now. All right. Bye-bye. And now, enjoy Watch Fire Music, featuring vocal artist Julia Wade, singing Beautiful. From her new CD, Sunday Morning.
1: Oh, sing unto the Lord a new song. Sing unto the Lord all the earth. For the Lord... you
2: Hello, Rolando, the reasonable voice, thanking you for joining us in becoming one of the reasonable voices heard around the world. Severe disruption to American life. Coronavirus. Climate change. Donald Trump. Quoting. Despite the hysteria from the political class and the media, smoking doesn't kill. Unquote. Mike Pence, 2 March 2001. Quoting i don't believe effective anti-drug policy involves handing out drug paraphernalia mike pence 27 march 2015 speaking of providing a proven effective program in the war on hiv aids The political dishonesty and religious hypocrisy of Mike Pence reflects his boss's lack of ethics, not only profaning good Samaritan Christian tenets like Love Thy Neighbor as Thyself, but denying what Americans learned in the 1980s from conservative evangelical Christian U.S. Surgeon General C. Everett Koop regarding smoking and HIV. However, there's no time for liars and hypocrites, nor panic. And the pursuit of obvious villains. For unlike coronavirus, the disruption of America as an exceptional land of the free and home of the brave started decades before James Comey, Facebook, Russian hackers, compromised voting machines, and misinformed American voters elected Trump Pence. This is the time that tries the souls even of the soulless, this is a time to actually be courageous, not settling for the drool of braggadocious bullies, boasting of false success, failures in judgment, and slander more true of he who slings trade wars of outrageous fortune than those who are tweet targets, like a media that may have finally recaptured enough of its lost journalistic breadcrumbs to retrace Murrell's path of honorable, just the facts, fourth estate, discipline, and scholarship. It is not a time to put our faith in a stock market that reflects our disunion, deceit, and denial, but rather it is for us to drive the market of humanity where faith, hope, and love are served and shared more freely than truth. It is not a time for masks, but rather for unmasking the idolaters at the altars of social media trolls, media theatrical hyperbole, and political sludge. It's time to rise above thinking it manly to beat and cheat on wives, oppress voters of color, and sexually harass daughters and mothers. It's time to celebrate innovation, whatever gender identification, electoral preference, sexual persuasion or party affiliation, and not time for inciting instability with irrational new hoax fabrications. Best we try to relive our collective patriotism during President Kennedy's Cuban Missile Crisis response, resuscitate the amiable person-to-person courage that filled the streets of New York City and parking lot of Washington's Pentagon on 9-11, and resurrect the united we stand response to trusted medical professionals, scientific facts, and a government of, by, and for the people, not only leading us out of the great 2007-2008 recession, but having the foresight to instill institutional preparedness and an organizational structure that largely spared Americans the ebola virus time we shake off the dust of irregular government practices mia agency leadership substituted with acting stand-ins with little expertise for their appointed positions Stressed out nationally and anxious individually from corporatism's dispensing opiate addiction, government dehumanizing immigration policies, and degrading political rallies of hate, encouraging the downgrading of America from respected governances and civilized world organizations, merciless timing ensures America first toxicity temporarily unavoidable no time to ignore ignorance nor intelligence or fail to hold ourselves accountable for the consequences of placing america at the mercy of those dismantling our democratic republic for neither the warmth of april showers nor prayers from self-congratulatory government executives will miraculously save america from the coronavirus while in the midst of collective potential calamity it is understandably difficult to see beyond our own individual needs like the new hampshire voter who assured msnbc that having a job and making money is what it's all about is missing our big picture reality maybe time has passed by our new world For there's nothing new about denying climate change or lying to pollsters or thinking the tree of knowledge of good and evil scientific discovery and human kindness are somehow mutually exclusive in the immediacy of emerging crises our fda is allowing laboratories which it has not approved to test for coronavirus while desperate times call for desperate measures beware allow not desperate presidential face-saving to replace end-of-war declarations with domestic martial law edicts time we recognize presidential purging to make room for yes-men for what it is constructing an elite personal government more loyal to his whims than our constitution Doesn't such commander-in-chief action risk castrating his legal alliances to congressional confirmations and rule of law also invite divided loyalties from our uniformed protection, both military and civilian? Listen, timely attacks on Fort Sumner weren't inciting moment for civil war. Disavowing the dignity of fellow human beings was... What if defending each other from coronavirus is do-over opportunity to never again say it's not fair? Maybe it's time to consider Trump's response to coronavirus our rehearsal for climate change, meant to measure the metal of our character and human decency. Thank you, and join us. Become one of the reasonable voices heard round the world.